Hi everyone, I'm Megan, and welcome to Word Crash, the game show where questionable plots compete for your vote to win a place in the Word Crash Hall of Infamy. Let's meet our contestants. She's an author and screenwriter who currently lives a quiet but eccentric life in Outer Queens with her snake Medusa. Please welcome the author of the award-winning YA fantasy series The Shadow War Saga, Ilana Moncton. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to have you. Next, she's an award-winning metaphysical author who enjoys crafting horror and urban fantasy from her home in Portland, Oregon, the associate editor of the Cardomancer magazine and co-host of the Cardslingers Coast to Coast podcast. Please welcome to the show, Jamie Elford. Hey, I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you. Well, nothing left to do but get to it. Let's play Word Crash. Grab your bucket and mop because it's time for Squeaky Clean. Reboot a gritty book or movie to remove the grit. Jamie, what gritty source is getting the Squeaky Clean treatment today? Hmm. Well, I do love a lot of zombie movies, so I think we need to go with the Eli Roth 2004 reboot of Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Okay, we're going to Squeaky Clean Dawn of the Dead. How... How do we reboot Dawn of the Dead as something squeaky clean? You got to give me what the equivalent of zombies is first. Well, I think we still can have zombies, but instead of them like biting people and, you know, transforming others, instead they can run around and they hug people. However, they also have sponges. So anytime they see like blood or any sort of dampness, like people crying, they have to run up and they kind of scrub and they're cleaning everything. So literally squeaky cleaning the world that we all live in from all the pollution, all the negativity, and whenever they see people doing violence on other people, they break it up and stop it. Zombie activists. Yeah. They're going to save the world instead of destroying it. Seriously. How does one become one of these zombies, first of all? You get really, really... Go for it. Oh, well, I I feel like we were probably going to say the same thing in that if you get really dirty, you descend into zombieism. The dirt creeps under your fingernails and gets into your bloodstream and you begin to decay from the inside out. And at some point it just gets so horrible that you can't help yourself, but you're like, you know, this is too much. This is too wild. I, I, I got to stop this from happening to other people. Yeah, yeah, it's that depression factor where, you know, it's just you can't get everything from under the fingernails or your toenails and your feet. And you're just so repulsed by it that you just accept it into your heart and into your body, quite literally. And then afterwards, you're trying to make sure that nobody else has this happen to you. And even though you just can't speak anymore because you're just mumbling and bumbling around, but you're able to just reach out with these sponges. And of course, most humans, if approached by something like this, they're going to be like, what the what? I can't even deal with this anymore. What? I don't even understand. Now, are these fast zombies or slow zombies? I like to think they're medium zombies. Medium so somewhere zombies. in between. Yeah, like slow ones have to figure out where all the dirt and stuff is located, like They'd be running after cars and trying to, you know, the parked cars usually, trying to swipe them down, walking and very carefully removing all the grime while the fast ones, when humans look at them and go, wait a minute, what are they doing? No, no, no. I I, I need I need my tattoo on my skin. That's not dirt. You know, that's totally not dirt. Don't rub this off of me. The fast ones go after the people. Oh, so, okay. 
here is an important question. Can the zombies communicate? Because in a lot of these zombie stories, they're just... Clean, clean, clean. You both do that really well. Will you ever? Did you ever portray a zombie in a movie? Because you do that really well. I think for them, yes. And I think they do it through the amount of dirt that's located on their sponges. To the point where... If it's a dirty, dirty sponge, they'll, like, go over and bat at it and, you know, like, make them for- forcefully drop it and then shove another cleaner one into each other's hands so that they can still continue their important mission of running around and keeping the world really clean. So the zombies can communicate with each other to a degree, but they cannot mm-hmm. communicate necessarily with humans, except through sponge sign language. Yeah, sign I actually kind of like that. I like that idea of sponge sign language. It's almost like semaphore, you know, where you've got the flags <laughs> and, you know, you can tell whether or not, you know, this house has already been exercised and cleaned and everything. And then, you know, we're kind of running at a little bit of the Shaun of the Dead at towards the end where everybody starts keeping some of the zombies, you know, it's all regulated now by the different countries and different states. And like here in America, I can almost see it becoming like zombie cleaning services almost where you know if the house gets really dirty people will come in and you know clean it or they have to figure out how to scrub out like nuclear reactors and everything so i have a question what is considered dirty because if there's a field full of dirt what are they going to do with that i mean i i understand you know Cleaning cars, that makes sense. Cleaning houses, that makes sense. Cleaning people, that makes sense. What about a natural landscape with lots of mud, like a beach? Would the zombies be able to philosophically differentiate? That is what I'm pondering right now. Part of me says maybe, just because they're so depressed that I think they more gravitate towards what we've got in civilization up front first, because nature is a restorative thing, but they can't see it anymore because they're just so deep in their despair and the, the dirt that might be even covering their eyes that they just can't see out through it. So maybe they are cleaning up nature as well because they can't see it. They can't identify the two. Or maybe they are specifically cleaning unnatural instances of dirt. So the dirt that's not supposed to be there is what's really getting under their skin, literally and metaphorically. I like that. I like that. The people have got to be scared. And besides, like, rubbing off somebody's tattoo, Ilana, (laughs) what negative things does this end up actually doing to people? I think it creates an epidemic of negative self-imagery. Because it's perpetuating the idea that none of us are good enough. None of us are perfect, obviously. But obviously we all strive to, I I hope, have good hygiene and keep ourselves clean, you know, to a degree. We do the best we can. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's not really good enough so the zombies will come after you in those instances or maybe they'll they'll get Mm -hmm. so hyper fixated on even the smallest imperfection that they perceive on anyone else that when zombies start chasing you it you you get this idea in your head oh something's wrong with me what what is it do i have spinach in my teeth did i mess up my lipstick in the car you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you you start 
worrying that's, that you've done something wrong or something looks wrong or, you know, do I have toilet paper attached to the bottom of my shoe? What's, what's, what is it? Basically, everyone is becoming obsessed with cleanliness because that's the only way that the zombies won't come after you. And it's, it's a harsh judgment if the zombies come after you. It's like, yes, oh, you're dirty. It is, they only cause... go after dirty people. Mm-hmm. It's a total us versus them scenario, just like in, in a dirty zombie world, you know, a normal zombie world, I should say, because it's all about in this in this new clean world, those that are really clean and keep up with everything. Like you said, that perfectionism and when humans aren't made to be perfection versus the zombies that are going around policing this idea of total perfection and they can't even help and stop themselves. And perhaps ironically... In the human's quest to achieve this unattainable perfection and to keep the zombies away from them, they become zombies themselves because they are so single-mindedly obsessed and fixated on the idea of, I have to look good, I have to look perfect. Ooh. And then so they collapse down be... into depression and just allow the, the dirt to consume them. So it's a self-fulfilling cycle. So this is a phenomenal amount of world building. Who is our main character of this story? Hmm. Hmm. Let's go with um, a girl, Shelly. Shelly. Okay. How old is Shelly? I'm thinking around her 30s. Okay. Let's make her a bank teller. And how does she feel about the cleanliness? I think she's probably lived the straight and narrow her whole life. You know, she always did what was expected of her. She went to banking school as her parents did before her to live up to familial expectations. And she was raised in a kind but rigid household where cleanliness was considered to be next to godliness. So she's always been... Just a just an average regular degular Shelly. Like she's she's mediocre, but she's very clean. However, her work is very important to her, and so her house kind of begins to slide because of all you know the classes she's doing, other night courses to improve and maybe work her way up to sales and finance or even home equity loans, that sort of thing. So that's how she starts getting into trouble. Even though I love watching the world and zombie movies kind of collapse. But I'd rather see Shelley in the midst of all this. Because that way she understands what's going on. And it's impeding on everything she does. I would think that the zombies would be very attracted to her because she deals with money. And money is filthy. Ooh. It's in Ooh, everybody's yeah. hands. There's no, there's no cash that's not just crawling with germs you know what now in my head i can see a bunch of zombies attacking an armored car they're attacking an yeah. armored car it's like they're all around they can smell the germs it. they can smell the germs of the of the money and they just they they rip it open and there's like they're just sitting there like brushing every bill and stacking it neatly inside you know so this might logically lead to a global financial collapse Oh, we don't use really currency for anything. Come on, it's all digital. <laughs> However, going along with that, I was thinking that um, hand sanitizer Oof. is, yes, I know we're coming out of the pandemic, and thankfully we still have it. However, homebrew, like alcoholic solutions and everything, because the zombies just keep coming, they keep cleaning and using up everything that there is 
a very lack of hand sanitizer, of alcohol, of just anything that would help keep the human body clean of, you know, microbes. Everybody's learning how to repurpose their clothing for like using for tissues. You know, they're making little hand wipes and everything, but the zombies keep coming. How does this affect Shelley? Let's start her trajectory here. She was mild-mannered bank teller. Now she's getting harassed by a bunch of zombies. Where does this take her? This takes her into thinking about not wanting to be a banker anymore because they're always at the buildings. They're always trying to get in. Maybe one day she opens up their big bank vault and there's a zombie in there cleaning the gold coins, the the stacks of money, trying to get into clawing their way into everybody's little lockboxes because there's stuff in there that people put in that were probably dirty. Mm-hmm. And who knows where that stuff came from. If she was naturally clean and she was raised to value cleanliness and now there's a supply chain shortage of soap and sanitizer and personal hygiene products, maybe this prompts her to go on a quest to find the last bastion of sanitizer in the world because she doesn't, she doesn't want the zombies harassing her anymore. So she's going after the U.S. government's strategic surplus of hand sanitizer. Yes, definitely. She has to infiltrate the government and pull off a, a sanitizer heist. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Well, she's got she's to assemble a team. Oh, now we have a team. Yes, a misfit yes. ragtag team to help her with the heist. Okay, Jamie. And you... Who's on that team? We got to have at least one gamer geek that all, all they want to do is play games and they focus on the games where lockpicking is important and it uses real-time simulators and sims to be able to unlock all these doors and then move into the next and the next. And somehow walking on the street, she finds this guy. He's ultra dirty, being chased after the zombies. She lets him into her building because she knows the bank's already dirty and that's going to obfuscate him somehow. And she says, I have a plan. I know what we need to do. Okay, so she's the leader. We have the leader and the sneaky one. We need a driver Mm because I figured that they're going to have to go on a long road trip for this to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. But the only driver they can find is... A go-kart driver. He he works at the local uh, carnival with kids. You know, the kitty go-kart track. Yeah. And naturally, that's quite a dirty job surrounded mm-hmm. by germs. Mm-hmm. So the zombies have absolutely been harassing him, cutting into his business. This is affecting his bottom line. So he has a vested stake in this. Mm-hmm. He's got mm-hmm. some skin in the game. He wants to be clean. So he needs that sanitizer. I envision him as having technical skills so he can make armored carts for everybody. Little germ-proof type deals where they can drive safely through across country in their little go-karts. He drives a van maybe because he's got to upkeep these little single-person carts. I see an amazing set piece of this kind of like van trailer truck, something like that, right? And it's it's struggling because they're going to have to bring all the sanitizer back. So they probably need this big truck, right? And yeah. to distract the zombies, the entire band, except for him, spin out the back, right? They just come flying out the back in their little carts, 
driving yeah. around doing something you know mad um, max style yeah yes yeah, mad yes max style to um, mad max style they've got drones overhead to kind of like help them you know navigate because they've all got their headsets on or even like the motorcycle helmets that have the you know connected headsets so they can all communicate mm-hmm. and talk and just do their best so they got the techie and the lock picker the sneaky one and our intrepid yep. leader we need two more people to do the five-man band. I think they need someone theatrical who can be comic relief and also in a pinch can be uh, the distraction. Okay. You know, someone who can who can go in and just lie their face off, just gift of gab their way out of anything. Yes, the face. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. What's our face like? Guy, girl, non-binary? What are we looking for? Here? I want to say non-binary. I'm gonna okay. let's go let's go non-binary this time. Somebody that maybe has more of a higher pitch voice but can okay. hold their ground and be able to in a pinch fist fight their way out of things so they're not okay. like totally like the damsel in distress or the person in distress but they can get away with a lot more because they don't look the exact part they can be whatever they want to be at the moment not flamboyant but but effervescent and effervescent. effortlessly charming yes so yeah so it's- and they're attractive to everyone yeah, they're yes. the bard of the yes, group. Yes, they are the bard. <laughs> Absolutely. Constantly making up songs as they travel along, just to because that's one of the ways they release out their anxiety through all this and having to deal with all the zombies and being hopelessly clean. Maybe they're more slobbish. I don't know yet. But maybe this is how they're dealing with this, is by creating songs. Yeah, and when they reach the Pentagon and have to break in, they distract the armed security guards with a song and dance number. Totally. Kind of like Anna in the Apocalypse style, I'm thinking, right? Something about mm-hmm. them and needing to have access to these cleaning supplies or just wanting to have a better world all around where maybe the zombies and the humans can once again come together and figure out a new world together where there's this balance between dirtiness and cleanliness. That, I think, leads us to our final person in the crew they need an inside man they need someone familiar with the workings of the u.s government and who knows the layout of the area where the sanitizer is being guarded we can get them like the blueprints i'm thinking janitor yeah because they're already in the midst of this battle you know they they've Mm -hmm. been working at the pentagon for 20 years they're almost on their last days they got their pension and everything you knew what had to come up right you know there's got to be always yep. that one that you know too he's old the inside this. man yep i'm getting too old for this, this i didn't never job <laughs> i never expected zombies this you know this never happened in my day you know we always kept our houses clean enough or something and now he's faced with being on the front lines kind of like wait a minute how can i be the soldier the one and he instantly knows that he does not want this anymore. He wants everybody to kind of join in the fight rather than hide away in their homes and, and just ignore the problem as always. So there's got to be a twist because we know our heroes mm-hmm. are going to get to the strategic reserves of hand sanitizer. They're going to break their way in. They've got the truck, right? They're ready to load it. And the twist is what? How about there is no sanitizer? There's no sanitizer, but there's something else there. What is there? The government's the one that's making all the zombies. 
Oh. They figured out how to tap into it. So instead of hand sanitizer, they find the conversion chambers. zombie factory. Yeah, yeah, the zombie factory. A dirtifying zombie factory. Like, you see this, like, manure or this bucket of, like, dirt come down on top of people or something, and then they just hopelessly, because they can't brush it off fast enough, and you got zombies, like, on the outside of these tanks, and they just kneel down in the deep dirt depression and end up becoming zombies themselves. So, lacking sanitizer to solve all their problems, they have to turn to an alternate solution. So, maybe they come up with a cure i'm thinking <laughs> compassion and mm-hmm. and water and washcloths the team goes into one of these conversion chambers mm-hmm. and they have washcloths with some soap on it and they look into the eyes of all the zombies and they're like we understand we know but this is not the way it ends you can get clean we can we we can do this together and they start wiping their face down, their arms off, and kind of gently cleaning and showing them this better way of being able to have this squeaky clean world without destroying their skin or anything else in the process. Hmm. So really, the zombies were trying to clean the world, but they just needed to clean themselves. Yes. And they didn't see the forest for all the trees. But with a little bit of love and compassion, they are able to, to work through their zombieism and, and come out the other end, return yes. to their humanity. Totally. Do we have a name for this um, story that we've created? <laughs> I'm not great with titles. Uh, squeaky Clean the Apocalypse. Um The clean apocalypse. Yeah, the clean apocalypse. The clean apocalypse. We never thought this would ever happen this way. <laughs> Scrubageddon. 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 I love that. Yeah, Scrubageddon. That's got to be the one. That's it. We yes. got it. This is Scrubageddon, Woo-hoo. people. Scrubageddon. Now it's time for Industry, 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 where our contestants talk about some unique or unknown fact about an industry that they're involved in. Jamie. Yes. What industry are you intimately familiar with? Well, I'm intimately familiar with the tarot industry, cross-sectioning into the writing industry, because that's what I do. I write tarot books. and Hold on, hold on. We have to clarify, you're not talking about the root vegetable. No. Oh, yeah. No, not the root vegetable. Although so I was at a book signing yesterday and someone did get the root vegetable drink. So that was hilarious. <laughs> but uh, no. Yeah, no. Taro so, milk um, bubble tea is top tier. I've never had. I, I didn't try it. I had mango and I don't like the boba bubbles in it. I like the bubble tea. Itself, oh, I, I'm, no I'm obsessed with the bubbles. I love the bubbles. I, but taro as a flavor yeah. is like chef's kiss. That's why my whole life's wrapped around it, you know? I mean, they take the root, turn it into cards, and that's what I read <laughs> with. Really, that's, you know, um, no, seriously, though, it's when you are a tarot reader or a tarot author, you are expected to kind of do everything. So you are part and parcel the talent and marketing and writing. You, you have to do everything. So it's really 
easy for people to say, hey, learning tarot in 10 minutes with one book, I can do that. But it's really not because you have to go deeper. You have to learn techniques of how to work with people. And then market yourself, get all the systems out there and get your name out there. It's real hard. Well, the marketing, oh, no matter any creative thing, if you actually want to make money or something, you've, you've got to do the marketing. So do you have any tips on, you know, like how you do the marketing aspect? I do. My favorite tip for marketing is don't market to other readers. We need to branch out and cross pollinate. So one of my favorite things to do is because I also like to write creatively is that I will ping friends like Megan or Alana and say, hey, you know, how can I, how can my cards help your characters out of their situations? How can I help you build better plots? So I cross market or cross pollinate into other fields for people I want to talk to rather than hire on the people that are in the industry that already know what's going on. That's interesting. You know, I am on a Twitch stream D&D podcast, right? We're doing a live Ooh. play kind of thing. And I just started last week and they assigned me, the, the person running the game assigned my character the uh, Hydrophant card. I have no idea mm -hmm. what that means, but they have assigned that card to my character. Uh, so what, what would you think that would mean? What can I expect if this person actually knows their cards? If the person actually knows their card, the Hierophant is a major arcana card that is number five in the order of from zero to 21. And it's all about kind of a teacher aspect. So it could be like a priest. So maybe mm -hmm. your character might end up being the cleric of the party or kind of that idea of the leader of the party where they have their voice connects them to the greater purpose mm -hmm. some ducks know this um the hierophant as the pope card um others oh. like for me i like to shy away from the idea of the pope you know that all supreme leader and say this is a teacher somebody the that you can go to that has some knowledge that maybe diffuses situations or has in since we're talking about D, D magic here the power to uplift you and heal you or give you those bonuses that the other characters might need during that battle well, she's mostly a paladin, so well, I guess that does make sense. Yeah, That's so you are the voice, you are that voice to your god, to whatever um, god that your paladin has. Very interesting, very interesting. So I, I know a lot of people have been inspired by the ideas of tarot, especially if you're doing something like urban fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, does, it does factor into that, but I never thought about using it, it well, any genre of writing. That's that's very interesting to use these, I don't want to call them tropes, but, you know, they're like archetypes, maybe? Yes, they're archetypes. Yeah, the yeah. major arcana is the archetypes. The minor arcana is usually seen as like the day-to-day -day ins and outs of everything we do. But it's a great tool, pretty cheap, for a creative writing whack pack where you buy a deck, the Rider Waite Smith deck, or the Waite Smith deck, as some of us like to call it, is about $6 out there. You can get one grab it and then if you're stuck on a plot you pull a card and say well whatever the character is doing on this card or the action or even a single keyword meaning that you can look up at the internet for this card is what that situation is going to carry on or it can be the character trait you know both good and bad that's interesting that you mentioned that because i actually just over the course of these past few months have been doing a little personal project i assigned 
all of the major arcana, the 22 major arcana cards to characters in my YA series, and I've been making actual graphics of cards for them and just posting them on my Kofi account. But it's it's funny because I was just doing that for the heck of it, you know, just for lols. But now we're actually talking about it and I'm thinking about it and I'm like, hmm, yeah, you know, it's not a bad idea using them for inspiration. No, it's not. And a lot of people out there are using decks or even making their IPs, their intellectual properties or their fandoms into tarot decks of their own. Mm-hmm. In some cases, you can't sell those decks. You can only use them for personal um, belief. Like if you're taking a supernatural deck or images off your screen of Dean and Sam, you can't you can't sell those because that's owned by Warner Brothers. That's owned, you know, they're owned by somebody else. But you can make personal decks of your favorite fantasy books, your favorite fandoms, and just use them on your own thing. So like for you, Alana, I mean, this is both. You're making your own deck. You're assigning each of your characters into an archetype from tarot. And then you can, I almost see this as, you know, it can be like a collector's thing out there. Or a tool oh, yeah. for you to actually get them talking more or integrating into the book systems a little bit deeper. Yeah, if I uh, felt like selling these things or producing these things, I don't know, would, would people buy them? Maybe. I could sell them Probably. on my coffee shop and see. <laughs> yeah. I, I do know at least one or two people in my fandom would would probably go for it, but it's just a question of producing it. <laughs> And that's a whole other topic for a different podcast. Ilana, what industry thing do you want to talk about today? Well, apart from the writing publishing industry, prior to that, I was deeply entrenched in the film industry. I started as an actress, actually. Ooh. I was, was a, something of a theater kid when I was just fresh out of college, mm-hmm. living in New York City. I was going out for a lot of auditions. And I, I didn't do a very good job, you know, because I, I wanted to be a star right out of the gate. And I wanted to take shortcuts. So in my yeah. mind, the shortcut was, well, I'm going to make my own movie. I'm going to direct and produce and write my own movie. And I'm going to star in my own movie. And I'm going to become super famous. So I did. I started writing my own feature film. And that was technically my first day on set of that feature was the first day on set of any real movie that I've ever been on. <laughs> But I made this feature film. I ultimately, I ended up firing myself from being the main character because there was so much to do behind the scenes, directing and producing, Mm -hmm. and every other thing, basically. I I was doing it all myself that I knew if I was also in front of the camera, it would never work. I would never be present because I would always be worrying. So I simply directed and produced and everything else for that one. Wrote, edited location managed, visual effects. It, it did better, I think, than anyone expected it to. It went on to be in 14 film festivals worldwide. It won awards at four of them. It briefly got distribution, and then my distributor and I amicably parted ways. And after that, I sort of jumped around from department to department. I dabbled in everything. I liked directing. I was good at it, but... In terms of ease of things that I could just do on a film set, and it was easy for me. Script supervision was actually my favorite thing that I did because I was the head of my own department. I was a one-person department. I was in charge of continuity for the film. 
you don't shoot everything in order. So if you're shooting scene eight on day one and scene nine on day 27, they have to match. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was in charge of making sure that everything matched from shot to shot, from scene to scene, uh, that we didn't skip any dialogue, that we had all the coverage we needed, that everything got reset the correct way when we went for another take. It sounds like a lot of work, and it is a lot of work, but for me, it it's something that came very naturally to me. So that was probably my favorite job behind the camera that I ever participated in. So you're the person who makes sure that the coffee cup is always on the table, the person's always wearing the green shirt, the first button is buttoned or unbuttoned, and, and things like that for all the continuity. The, Correct. The, the car now, always has the California license plate, something like that, right? Yes. Now that I do have a lot of overlap with other departments. Mm-hmm. So the coffee cup, for example, art department is in charge of props. Mm-hmm. And so they'll have set dressers who will go in and reset the coffee cup. If the actor is smashing one coffee cup in the scene and they have to go back and do the scene again, set dressers sweep up the broken coffee mug. Art department replaces the coffee mug with a fresh one. But I'm the one who takes pictures, takes stills of the actual footage, and I see exactly where the coffee mug was placed, what side was the handle on, if the actor ends up doing something differently in one take, maybe they smashed the coffee mug on a specific line in take one, maybe they smashed it at a later point in take two, I make notes of that in my production logs. If the director likes a certain take, I make a note of that. I also work with the camera department. I liaise with the assistant camera person to who is the one who does the slate. Um, so obviously slating is very important for everyone. Well, okay, okay, remember. Sorry, yeah, here, I'm getting, I'm getting a little knows, too technical. No, no you well, can get technical, but I just... We need to uh, to tell all the people at home <laughs> what a slate is, because slate to me that's, just means that's that the stuff. The clapper board. Ah, the clapper board. Okay. The Fantastic. clapper board. Yes. Sorry. The clapper board. That's the slate. And so when you're when that's the stereotypical thing you see, you know, when you're like, oh, an action mark, and the clapper board goes together. They do that because when you're syncing audio and video in editing, you then have on audio the sharp click of the connecting clapper boards mm-hmm. <laughs> as it were and on the video you have the actual moment when they connect so you can sync up audio and video that way but on the clapper board you also have important information for the director and producer and editor which includes role you know that's um in the olden days when you actually used film, it would be which roll of film you were on. So you go through rolls of film and you label one, two, three, four, so you can organize where everything is. I keep track of what role we're on. I keep track of what scene we're on. I keep track of what take we're on. And I keep track of what setup we're on. So if you're doing scene 33, Apple, take one. Apple, that's A, that just stands for that's your first setup. Scene 33, Baker, take one, is a second setup. So maybe your first setup is a wide, and then you go in for your close-ups. 33, Baker is, you're taking footage of main character number one. 33, Charlie, you're taking close-up of main character number two. Ah, B-roll. Is that where B-roll and C-roll comes from? No, B-roll is something a little bit different. It 
we have a lot of letters, so it does get confusing. B-roll is actually more more of a secondary thing. Uh, mostly, I think it would be for documentaries, although it can be for narrative. But if you're shooting your subject in a documentary, that's the talking head. And B-roll would be the other footage that you cut in and layer over the talking head. So if the talking head is talking about dragons, your B-roll team would go out and get footage of dragons. Okay, so what you're saying is I need to make a video of this and just do B-roll for the entire YouTube video of this. Exactly, yes. Okay, all right, fantastic. I have actually considered that. This is impressive, Alana. I didn't realize, I mean, when, when you said script supervisor, I'm thinking you're making sure all the words are okay or everything's being set up or, you know, you're giving everybody the right daily script and you're talking, you know, like the clapperboard going deeper into actual set design and everything. And I'm just like, you lost me somewhere along all that. And then to add to that, you mentioned you're a script writer and a novelist. Yes. (laughs) Do you sleep? More than more than you would anticipate, <laughs> but yes, I do. I do occasionally wow. sleep. Um, over the years, I have. I'm not that old, but it seems like I've lived many more lifetimes because I've jumped around so frenetically. So, and I really did. I burned the candle at both ends and in the middle when I was doing film, because that's unfortunately the nature of the industry. If you think publishing is hard, whew. Film is, like, a completely different wow. extreme. And if you think publishing is toxic, <laughs> try Hollywood. So uh, so I got out, <laughs> and I focused on novel writing for a little while. But I, you can never really fully get out. You can never really fully escape. So I have a lot of friends, obviously, who are still in the film industry and who will call me up every now and again and say, Hey, I need a scripty. And, or, hey, I need somebody to write me a screenplay. Which... Uh, now I'm, I'm being sucked into my sellout era where I, I write Christmas movies and Lifetime movies for money. I don't, I don't consider that a sellout thing. (laughs) That's knowing the market. That's knowing what people want right now, you know? Yes. (laughs) I mean, so if I'm going to bring this back to something fundamental here is that there are two ways of being a writer. You can... Do something that's authentically you. This is your thing. This is you. And that's going to resonate with a certain small percentage of people. The idea of you're going to build something authentically you and that everyone is going to love it probably is not realistic. But you're going to have fans, right? And some people can have a lot of fans doing that. But you're making a choice not to pander to the masses. Or you could be like, no, I want to write for money. And you could chase different trends. And sometimes you'll build something chasing a trend that you like. And then, but when the trend ends, you've got to go write something else. And there's nothing inherently wrong with either of those approaches as long as you enjoy it. Right? Or, and I, I will point out that if you are extremely lucky, there is an overlap. And yes. if you can find that happy medium, then... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even in my world, I... I'm happily doing that happy medium. I love writing for tarot. I love designing worlds for tarot decks. That's what I do for my cash. Sometimes I don't get a choice of which world I get to do, but I get to, you know, make it mine and run with it. So, yeah, if you're able to do both, do it. Absolutely. Break out your thesaurus and grab your red pen because it's time for Drop It. 
In this game, we ask our contestants to drop a single letter from the title of a book or movie and tell us what the new plot is. Ilana, what letter is getting the axe today? All right. So I settled on the original title of The Amazing Spider-Man, and I dropped the N. So now it's The Amazing Spider-Ma. So, wait a minute. I love wait a minute. that. Is is this is this a Spider Mom? Are we gonna write a Spider Mom movie? I think we are. <laughs> I think it has to be. Spider-Man. We have to go in that direction. I was almost thinking yeah. Grandma, Spider Grandma. It could, be, it could be any of them. You know, suburban stay at home mom of two gets bitten by a radioactive spider, and and becomes a giant spider mom. Ooh, oh, oh, like a soccer mom, but it's she's a spider. So so like wait a, a like minute. An eight armed mother. We have an yes. eight-armed mother running around. Yes. Okay, yes. I'm I'm here for this. So, I love the eight-armed mother thing because something one of my friends said to me once is, "Never have more kids than you have arms to hold them." Mm. Oh, I can hold on to you. You're not going anywhere. If you get two kids, you got that third kid. It's you know getting the leg in there or something is quite difficult. <laughs> so I could just imagine that your average everyday soccer mom with eight arms would be. Well, I guess six arms and two legs. How are we going to count that? It's difficult to say. You know, I think she scuttles. I think they're all legs. (laughs) Or all arms, so to speak. If we're going with Megan's idea of you can never have more kids than arms, then we can have up to eight kids here. But if there's a ninth on the way, you can have, yeah, you got Octomom. And then you have the webs that you can, you know, enforce where like if the baby's trying to run off, you can be like, you know, she quickly throws a web over the kid and says, you need to stay there. I like to think that moms like to pace at them out maybe every other year or so. Maybe every, every two years. Two, maybe years. maybe she's a maybe she's not a biological mother. Maybe she's a foster True. mother, and now mm-hmm. she has the ability to take in multiple kids, and it becomes a sort of found family. She raises these kids, and they all kind of become one little sticky web unit. I I like it. One thing we've got to get out of the way though is how much of a spider does she look like? I think she's pretty spider esque. Really? Uh, I'm imagining, yeah, I'm imagining just like straight up spider, but like humid face. I was going to think that too. Big human sized spider, but human face. But she's not a hairy spider. She's like one of those sleek spiders. Oh, this is, every time I think you're not going to go to something (laughs) horrific, you you come up with something even more horrific. I don't know. It's a spider, but with a human face. Like, oh, God. Okay. As an arachnophobe, though, I would agree with this. I'm fine with this. I'm fine with having the the body of the spider with the eight arms coming out and a human face. I think that puts a more friendly face. It's like Charlotte's Web. It's like Charlotte was a pretty spider. Yeah, I Charlotte mean, was a very pretty, very cute, completely socially acceptable spider. Well we, written, can, even well written. Can, spider. Ah. Can, can we have two eyes though? Just like the eight eye thing is gonna. No, no, she got a human face. Sure. She okay. got two eyes. All right, yeah. two eyes. Two All eyes. Right. Two ears. She even has. Nose. She even has hair. She's got. She's got curly uh, blonde hair. She got a perm. She's got a, the styles that she can have because of all the other arms she can like dry and brush oh, yeah. and she's, curl every wow yeah she's she's, she's a great together. hairdresser for these kids you know these kids are are like underprivileged they've they've mm-hmm. come from the system they've never known love and now all of a sudden they all eight of them have this 
fantastic spider ma who does their hair nice and pretty for school and she she can make eight lunches at once she packs their little lunches in little paper bags and she writes their names and draws little hearts on them like doing the whole bento the whole perfect little bento boxes and yes yeah they they celebrate halloween she decorates the house for halloween she puts real webs on the house she she even she even kind of fakes being a real spider to kind of like she puts on a spider mask kind of scare a little yeah yeah she puts on a spider spider mask mask. So and and then climbs, climbs down the real web to hand out the candy and climbs back yeah. and occasionally gets real people. You know, mostly the adults don't like this. The kids mm-hmm. are like, how how does this even happen? And she's like, I'll never tell. But, you know, the kids love it. Yeah. They, they're they always all over at the house doing all the activities. So, so Spider-Ma I- is very domestic, but I think she also has to have a an arch nemesis she there has to be a villain in the story to create conflict so i feel like the natural nemesis would be a doc ock type of a thing so like a radioactive octopus bit this aquarium worker and he turned evil not evil no not evil he he became enlightened and he was like you know aquariums zoos just the way we treat all these animals it's not good I don't like it. So the humans have to pay. Uses natural made pesticides to to deal with humans. Like sprays lavender. This this <laughs> is the most inadvertently dark word crash we have ever had. You know, it's it's just between the squeaky clean of the quite existentially the zombie horrific yeah. zombies, right? And now we've got we've got spider ma and spider ma and, and the octopus that wants to eliminate all of humankind. This is what happens when we get a horror writer and the the YA fantasy author together. Maybe there's something like inherently wrong with me because I'm like, no, this is this is just run of the mill. This is just this is, a Sunday night. Yeah, know? this like, is I'm normal not... for me. I'm like, no, I'm I'm jiving with this. So <laughs> what I loved about how you you brought up Doc Ock and first my mind went, okay, I can see that, but I'm like, but wait a minute, they both have eight arms, so we're almost going to have yeah. this, like, wrestling, there's got to be an arm wrestling match somewhere in between Ooh. with Ooh. all, like, with at least six of the eight arms, you know, where they're Radioactive trying to wrestle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's got to be, are, because... Are you saying that this is an enemies to lovers kind of thing? It could be. It could. I like that. Mm-hmm. She, she redeems Doc Ock. We need, we need a new way... name for him. <laughs> Well, you know, like you said that they worked at the aquarium, so I was almost thinking like Aquarium Man, but it's not like Aqua Man. That's different. That's you know DC's world. Maybe it's a squid, and he's got ten legs. Okay, mm. so he outlegs Squid her. Man, like Squid Man. Yeah, Good word? so it's like a Marvel oh. villain matchup: a hero versus a villain with similar but slightly stronger powers. Yeah, Marvel seems to do that way too much. Yeah, that's you know? one of my biggest gripes with them. Yeah, they they did <laughs> yeah. it with Iron Man. They did that and the Sky Beam. <laughs> yes, the Sky, the sky Beam. beam. <laughs> uh, why does everyone float like they've got thrusters on their hands? I understand why they did it for Iron Man because he actually does have the thrusters. But if you like, look at Scarlet Witch. There's no reason for her to have her hands out like that, balancing herself. Everyone yeah. just flies like that. Now I'm like, nah. Nah, come on. If I had powers like that, I'd make myself wings, actual like butterfly wings, and flap around that way. 
winged spiders and winged squids, that's even more horrifying. <laughs> some some spiders can fly, sort of. They they create little silk parachutes. Yeah, they, they out of their webbing, things. and then they can parachute from place to place. Okay, so to get back, kind of on plot, <laughs> I yeah. have a question: Does the world accept Spider Ma? Like, what do the neighbors that, think? That's of her? a great question. Uh no, I think, I think. She faces a lot of adversity because people are sort of inherently biased against spiders. Not a lot of people like spiders. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the spider is actually my soul rep because not a lot of people like them, but also they're ugly. So (laughs) that's me. (laughs) I don't think you're ugly. That's my joke, but it didn't land. Uh, (laughs) No, so I think I think she she faces a lot of adversity in her neighborhood because she used to be this suburban like a yoga mom and now she's a spider mom and uh she adopted all these kids and everybody's like, well, you know, a single spider mom, how's she going to raise her children? How's she going to provide for her children? But she gives them such a loving environment that she eventually wins over the naysayers. And she makes herself so useful to the community with her eight legs and her ability to fix uh, things with her webbing. You know, it's like the new duct tape. It's her webbing. Webbing is the and new duct free. tape. Yeah. Webbing is the new duct tape. Yeah. I can see other singer moms being real jealous of this ability because you know how, well, I'm not a mom, but just at home with two cats and a wife, sometimes I'm like, I need extra arms. You know, I wish I could do like five things at once. So here's this Octoma, you know, the amazing Spider-Ma, and she's able to do eight things, you know, up to eight things and and handle kids and help with homework all at the same time. And I can just see a lot of other moms just jealous. Yeah. She can do it all. She has it all. In fact, I think two of the kids should be old enough that she doesn't have to hold them. And that means she's also writing her novel. Maybe she's a technologically mm-hmm. advanced spider and she's actually vlogging because she would get a huge following. Oh, She'd God. get a massive following on TikTok. Gro- GoPros, you know, she all would over be her body or in webbed everywhere. And yeah. Instant overnight viral sensation on TikTok. 100 million followers. Boom. Boom. Right off and the bat. Her yeah. account gets shut down every now and then because they they're like this can't be real this can't be real and yet every yeah, time they, she all her know, videos she, get flagged as spam and scams and, and frauds and yet she sends in all the paperwork and everything and then it always pops up back up sometimes under different names and occasion just because they're like this is spam and she's like no this is real you know she goes no, to YouTube and she's on the, TV all the, the time she fights the algorithm the algorithm is very suppressive very biased. So she yeah. has to fight the evil algorithm along with everything else, all the other adversity. She's so facing a lot of adversity. It's this, uh, that, let's say that it's this popularity online that makes her a target of our squid fiend. Squid fiend wants to go after her specifically because he's seen her and, you know, she's helping the humans so much and she's caring about them. They don't care about her. Why is she caring about them? Maybe he thinks he can sway her to his side Ooh. initially. Yeah. I was going to say that so, he w- he's so like nervous about himself that when he tries to go online and do vlogs and YouTubes that the, the squid ink pops out and makes the screen go black. <laughs> so people think, you know, really think that he is fake because he's never on screen because he's always so nervous that 
It just, yeah. you know, the squid ink, the, the, the noise gets in the way. Just a black screen and he's like, I am a squid. You gotta have to take my word for it, but I am a squid. I promise you. I'm sorry, people. I got uh, I got all of the screen again. You have to understand that it's difficult being a squid. It's very difficult being a squid. Um, I gotta. And that's get like myself only wet again. Hold on, thing. I got a bucket. You know, like <laughs> I got a bucket. I have to stay moisturized and hydrofated. Yeah. Yeah, he reaches out to all the different uh, moisturizer companies, the, the cosmetic <laughs> companies, trying to get deals and yes. stuff because he needs he he wants his he wants empire. to be an influencer. Yeah, <laughs> he wants to quit his day job. He wants to finance his animal rights activism movement, but nobody wants to work with Squid Fiend. I like Squid Fiend. That's a good name. Squid Fiend. Yeah, Thank let's you. go with that. Squid Fiend and Spider Ma. Spider Ma reminds me of Squidward. It does. <laughs> does whatever a spider mod does. Oh, let's see. What, what can I do with that? What does a spider mod do? Can she juggle eight children? Yes, she, she can. can. And if she well. tries, and if, she acci- if she accidentally drops one, she, you know, quickly makes a web that, you know, Whoa, saves them from. She saves them, yes. Yeah. Okay, another disturbing fact. Where does that web come from? And also, well, also, I'm sorry, does she wear pants? Well, no, she's a spider. I mean, Spiders how would a spider wear pants? Wear pants? If a she spider was to, to wear pants, own... how would a spider wear pants? She has to, she has to make, can't. she has to make her own special clothing, either from her webs or using various um, modified sewing machines. I think she has a, a skirt that covers her, uh, abdomen okay all right yeah like almost like a muumuu you know just a whole <laughs> yes. or whatever part head, she wants yeah head thorax where her legs sprout from and then abdomen skirt we'll just call it privacy yes. clothing what is the ultimate plan of squid fiend and what is spider ma gonna do about it well squid fiend is very anti-human he sees this other part human creature and he thinks this is a potential ally, and she has such a massive following on social media. You know, this is a really powerful potential person that he can work with to free the animals and enslave the human population. Ah, see, until you got to the enslave the human population thing, <laughs> we were going to run into a problem. And this is the same. I've gone over this before, but I got to say it again. Poison Ivy. When they made Poison yeah. Ivy, it was like, oh, eco-terrorist, blah, blah, blah. Now people are like, oh, no, no, we got to do whatever we can to save the world. She's not a, th- she's not a villain, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, right. Th- everything yeah. has changed yeah. about Poison Ivy. And you were right on the cusp of doing the same thing until you said enslave humanity. Well, he has to be, he has to be a villain. Yeah, he does. Ultimately. He does. Well, you I know, was he's, thinking. He's a, broken, he's a small, broken man inside. Well, I was thinking because of all the cosmetic companies that he's trying to sway into, you know, giving him power and influence with he can create his own formulary maybe it's mind control moisturizers maybe we can go full Catwoman, where the cosmetics are killing people if you stop using the cosmetics you age and you die immediately <laughs> or something yeah yeah <laughs> and it's a it's an ink based cosmetic he makes it he synthesizes it from his ink <laughs> 
That comes from his armpits. Let's just let's be clear. Yes, it, it comes, comes under his, his armpits. armpits. Okay, just because this is a PG rated show. Yeah, gay kids. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's why I asked about where the webbing comes from. People yeah, shy away really from that. that. We never really addressed that. Okay, let's just say who uh, is, because that's where, yeah. you know, let's keep it in this yeah, in yeah, the, yeah. the Spider-Man universe where Spider- it comes from the wrist. So the Spideys. Yes. Yeah, the Spideys have it from the wrist. And it's in, Toby in Maguire sp- Spider-Ma. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I kind of think Toby Maguire would be like, yeah, I'll, I'll be in that. Sure. Sounds good to me. <laughs> totally. I, I could almost see him Sign wanting to be um, Squid Fiend. Just be like, Dude, he would be ink, a great Squid Fiend. Ink, ink from my armpits. I can like, you know, you can do the armpit joke or something, and yes. the ink, you know, just comes out. Maybe I, you know, uh, you know, it's where we sweat and we get nervous and we just don't know what to do, and so we make him the awkward I mean, scientist. Spider Man Three, Dark Peter Parker. That's like Squid Fiend. He that that slicked back hair. That's like ink hair Squid Fiend. <laughs> He also has a hairline product. The squidding slick. <laughs> but none of these are successful, right? People can understand the Spideys. You know, they understand web and webbings having all this potential because it's so strong. You, you can make beautiful silks out of these things. You can make blankets out of them. Yeah. You know? But also she's altruistic. She, she gives back to the community. She genuinely wants to help others. She takes in the children. She creates this loving family environment she helps her neighbors she's not seeking fame she just stumbles across it whereas this guy like he fakes it while while she's like sending out this really nice message of everybody's unique even if you're a spider bodied person you know you you still matter and he's just like you know why do they always go to her you know i've got this magic ink and i can use it for so much more and do so many other things with this. I love that May, May we've completely lost Megan. <laughs> Once again, there are so many there are so many different ways this could go that are just dark and horrific and just but no, we'll just we'll put a smile on her face, we'll ignore all those and let's let's figure out what the actual conflict is when they finally come into contact. Spider-Ma is there, Squid Fiend is there and Squid Fiend has got what going on? He's stolen children. And he's using them. He's testing his products on them. Yes. Yes. The elder ones, because the elder ones came from this altruistic lifestyle that they're, you know, like when you're teens, you rebel and they're like, well, we're tired of the limelight. We just want to have a normal, real, you know, life. And he kind Mm -hmm. of says, I've got some products that will help you live a normal life. And hey, kids, get in my van. I'll give you some hair gel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is going to be off the wall there. I'm actually getting a hook vibe. The whole Peter Pan hook thing. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm getting that same vibe of convincing one of the kids that it's better to be the pirate than it is to be one of the lost boys. So here it's like, oh, it's better to be a squid and do the squid stuff because we are so cool than it is to be a spider. And now Spider-Man's coming to save the day. And we have both like a physical save the day. And we have to have Mm -hmm. that moment of where the child's like, oh, oh, no, squid fiend really is a fiend. Mm. How do we do that? It's I'm thinking there's an allergic reaction in one of the chemical formulas. Like his ink Mm -hmm. hurts one of the kids because they're allergic to it. We have to have the life on the line type of climax here. We're driving the stakes up. Yeah, we got to kick the cat well, pretty hard too. Right. In order for we the need kid to, to. It needs to be set mind. in New York City, and they got to destroy part of New York City, and there has to be a sky beam. 
So maybe. <laughs> it is Marvel after all, right? So maybe Squid Fiend lures these children with a trip to the big city. And his master plan is that he's going to put this chemical in the city's water supply and or possibly aerosolize it. And so the entire New York City gets blanketed with this squid solution, and they're all going to turn into squid fiends. But they have this allergic reaction to it, which he discards. And so that's like the first red flag for the children. The older, let astray child mm-hmm. is sort of like, well, you know, maybe maybe he's not such a great guy after all, but kind of keeps going along with it. Cause because my younger sibling is... is having an allergic reaction, and they're feeding mm-hmm. like the asthma inhaler to him. And he's like, this isn't a good plan if you're going to kill off, you know, my best friend here. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it it only kills like uh, one out of four people, so it should be fine. It's fine, you know, because asthma's on the rise because all that pollution. Yeah, mm-hmm. all it's that mm-hmm. pollution. So I think what Squid Fiend has done is he's got this canister of squid ink solution that he's going to set off at the top of the Empire State Building, and it's going to aerosolize and go all over the city. Mm-hmm. And everybody turns into a squid and one out of four people die. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty serious. Pretty high stakes. Spider-Ma, she's tracked them to the city. Then her spidey senses direct her toward the top of the Empire State Building. And she gets this mom vibe that her children are near. So she scuttles up the whole side of the Empire State Building. She climbs the Empire State Building. And all the New Yorkers are like, oh, what's that? Oh, King Kong. Oh, it's a bird, it's a plane, oh, it's Spider-Ma! And, uh, and they have this epic showdown on the top of the Empire State Building where they are just, like, hanging off the observatory, arms and legs flailing. They're just, they're just slapping each other. <laughs> I think the squid ink should be a hard counter for the adhesive potential of the webs, <gasps> right? See, so. I was hoping you weren't going to bring that up because I was thinking that along the way, as all the the squid ink is falling, she's building little tents and webs that protect them. But if we're putting your your thing Uh... into that, so she can't actually use her powers, her her at least her web powers against Mm -hmm. this because it is so uh, toxic. But she can use her mind. She can use her reasoning skills. She could wrap him in a blanket. Um, what do they, what do they call like the baby, the baby swaddling? Rat? Yeah. Swaddle. So, she so swaddles him. because of all the babies <laughs> she's ever had to deal with, she can swaddle him up and give him that protective, um, hold give him the that love he he's never, never got had yeah. as a child. So basically what you're saying is they're going to hug it out. Yes. Well, well, yeah, they begin to hug it out, but I'm thinking one of the one of the sons might throw a wrench into it because he does like the human thing and decide that he wants to knock uh, a squid fiend out mm. because he knows that if Spider-Man lets him live, that he's only going to try this again and again in other places, maybe. But no, no, Spider-Man is 100% dedicated to hugging it out giving this poor guy the love that he needs that he hasn't had at least as a big hug she rehabilitates him maybe she she appeals to his better nature using her motherly compassion and instincts and she says you know if you do this 
you're also going to hurt all the animals in New York City, you know? And, and that's, like, the opposite. That's the antithesis of your entire career. You know, so what are you doing? She Sweet offers bean? to adopt him if he, you know, goes into therapy. Oh, that's so much better than enemies to lovers. I like that. Enemies to therapy. Fantastic. Yeah, that's great. That is great. Spider-Ma! Okay, so like every Marvel movie or every DC movie nowadays, you got to have a stinger at the end that's that sets something up. So now that... That sets up the sequel. <laughs> I mean, personally... I love that because I like when stories continue. I don't really want stories to end. So I'm not making fun of it from that perspective. But I think for a superhero kind of thing, we need something at the end. So what's the stinger, you know, that that at the end really tells us that there's more in store for Spider-Ma? Intro to the (laughs) Spider-Verse. Intro to the Spider-Verse. She stumbles across a portal and Miles Morales steps out. And now she's canonized. She's part of the Spider-Verse. Come on, Marvel. Billions. Yeah. Billions, we tell you. There is a fortune to be made here, Marvel. And that's it, everybody. There is the amazing Spider-Ma. Woo! Woohoo! Before we go, it's time to give our authors a chance to talk about what's new and exciting in their lives. Jamie, what's new and exciting in your life? My family has kittens again. That's our, our <laughs> one of the one of the bigger things in my life. We went the whole pandemic without cats. So we've got two wonderful little ragdoll kittens. And I mentioned that first because they have disrupted a lot of my writing because all they you know, one of them just wants to play, 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 and the other wants to snuggle and cuddle. And I've been kind of lax and so on my own writing works. But I am working on a new deck book for a deck that'll hopefully come out in summer maybe fall of 2023 this one's called art nouveau egyptian so it's going to deal with a lot of the egyptian gods and it'll be fun i recently just had another deck come out art nouveau steampunk and that one i got to do steampunk world building so it's more fictionalized than you'll see in a lot of deck books usually what you find in a tarot deck is what is tarot all the keywords and sometimes maybe it's a short description of what the card shows you. Well, in this one, I'm trying to tell a little bit of a story. So you've got a captain of a steamship who's telling people, basically the reader, what people and sites and places and vehicles that are on these different cards that you'll engage with into this whole world. And so that one just came out through Los Carabeo, which is one of the publishers I work with. And I thought it was a lot of fun to write. I'm working on a new book. I'm not sure which way that's going to go yet, but it will be combining my love of tarot and writing, hopefully, together. So that's a little hint. And what other books or projects have you worked on that people might know you from? People will know me through Tarot Inspired Life, published by Llewellyn, that came out in 2019. It's got a lot of cool advice on how to use the cards in your everyday practice, including a whole chapter on using it with creative writing, where I discuss plot, characters, settings, using the deck as a writing coach. It's one of my favorite things to do. I have also done some role-playing game writing where I worked with White Wolf. I was with Mage the Ascension. I worked on Digital Web 2.0 and their Black Dog, aka their darker, more adultier book stuff, uh, Destiny's Prize. I got to write the story for that. And I also wrote the frontispiece piece for Digital Web 2.0. 
um, about 10 years ago, I was put into the anthology that helped musician S.J. Tucker get some medical assistance. And that one had people like Shauna McGuire, Neil Gaiman, me. So it was a lot of fun. And that book is called Ravens in the Library. Very cool. If people want to reach you on social media, where can they look? You can find me on social media on Twitter and Facebook at Jamie underscore L Ford. And Facebook, I think there's a dot, but it's my first name, last name, J-A-Y-M-I, L Ford, E-L-F-O-R-D. I am available for readings at intercompasstarot.com. My book has its own site at tarotinspiredlife.com. That's got worksheets, handouts, a bunch of different downloads for writers and other other fun things to do with the cards. You had a podcast, right? Yep. Every other month on the the second and the fourth at Cardslingers Coast to Coast. And it's me, my friend Melissa, and my other friend Hillary, and we talk tarot. We get into the business of tarot. We talk about the cards, books, things that are really important to our industry. Ilana, what is new and exciting in your life? Well, the most exciting thing is that I... I'm going to be publishing my newest novel on May 24th, 2023, and I am starting a six-month campaign to kind of raise awareness for it. So it's called Kill Your Darlings. It is adult fantasy, so it's a departure from my usual fare of YA fantasy. I am writing under a pen name for this one to separate the YA and the adult. You can find it under the name L.E. Harper. That's my pen name for this one. Mm. The one-sentence pitch I have prepared, it is, when an author is magically trapped in the world she created, she must fight to change the apocalyptic ending she wrote or fall victim to the worst villain of all, herself. Ooh, very nice. There <laughs> is that idea many times of, like, what would happen if you met your characters or if your characters met you? Because there's no ramification for us to put together a character who's going through hard times. It's not real. But if that character was real, you'd be creating someone whose life is pretty terrible, which would be a an uncaring and callous god, right, to put something like that together. So especially if you're talking about apocalyptic stuff in your stories, putting yourself in there after that is kind of, yeah, I could see how that would be um, quite harrowing. Oh, Yes. So the story itself is allegorical. It deals with mental illness. I have struggled with that myself. So the main character in question, the author, the fantasy author, is depressed. <laughs> I wonder who she's based on. And uh, so... Hey, better to lampshade she... it. Just, just lampshade it right, right. now, right? <laughs> because so many times authors put themselves in a book and you're just like, oh, Really? Really? Did you put yeah. yourself in the book? Yeah, this is pretty obviously me, but um, she's a mess. She's a dumpster fire. She is literal, like, she is on fire. Not in a good way. And the premise is that she has written a dark ending to her story, and she's just killed off all her characters because she is in this depressive rut. She says, you know, if I, I don't believe in happy endings, that if I can't have one, why should they? And so that's what happens in reality and then she wakes up one morning and she finds herself in her world and she's like oh okay well you know i i'm i dream about my characters a lot and that's how i get some of my greatest inspiration and this is great 
I'm going to have a great time. And then she gets stabbed. <laughs> and she doesn't wake up. And she's like, uh-oh, this is real. And uh, then, you know, then they go into some astrophysics uh, explanation about how they're in parallel universes and she sort of like had a window to their universe and they're living in concurrent time it's all whatever very complicated i I like astrophysics so i I kind of actually did go into this a little bit but the premise then is that she's like well i know this story you know i have to go on a quest to save you all before you die before the, the the dark tyrant warlord villain that i wrote winning and killing you all uh, is actually victorious. I have to stop him. So basically, the protagonist has to ungrimdark this grimdark world that they've created. Uh, sort of. She her her idea is that she's like, well, I'm going to defeat the bad guy, and but she doesn't have the power to simply do this with a few keystrokes anymore. She has to trade her pen for a sword, and she has to fight from within her story to change it because. Now she's in the world, and whatever she does has real consequences. But she has an interesting power. She is omniscient, essentially, because she's the author. She built this world, Mm -hmm. or so she thought, from the ground up. So she knows everything about the people and, and the way the magic system works. She doesn't have any magic herself, but she understands the science behind it. So she really has to kind of use her wits to bring her characters on this epic quest to find this weapon that can maybe defeat this bad guy and uh hilarity ensues Uh, it sounds it sounds hilarious that's why i keep and by hilarity i mean trauma (laughs) oh yeah you know i've had friends that say you know ha ha my trauma makes me funny ha 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 you know um it does it can i like to joke about my trauma if you're not laughing you're crying and you know i'm i'm done crying so well, that Word. sounds fantastic. Where can people find you on the internet if they um, want to find your stuff? Yes. Uh, so, unfortunately, my biggest platform is Twitter. Uh, Me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Writers of the Twitterverse unite. Yeah. Uh, so, you can find me on Twitter at Dragonspleen. My second biggest platform, uh, unfortunately, is TikTok. I was forced to join it. It's a cursed app, but I've I've carved out a little niche for myself, and I'm making helpful explanatory videos that go through and elucidate the self-publishing process. So obviously I got a lot of rejections for Kill Your Darlings, over 200. So I finally read the writing on the wall, and I said, all right, I'll self-publish. I made all the mistakes it's possible to make, and because of the dire state of the publishing industry, I think it's important to shed light on how potentially easy self-publishing can be, even if you're going about it really the professional and the correct way. Like, even if you're going through many phases of editing and you're getting a professional cover designed, mm-hmm. money does not necessarily have to be the roadblock that it once was. But obviously, if you spend less money, you got to spend more time, so there's a sacrifice in everything. Mm-hmm. Technology just certainly does not have to be a roadblock for anyone nowadays because you can make a a book that is just as good if not better than any of the big five four or three publishers i don't know what they are now they're all conglomerated so that is what my tiktok channel is devoted to i am going through the process of self-publishing kill your darlings and i am chronicling it and i am explaining to people how it works how the behind the scenes works 
so they can emulate the process if publishing has told them, like it has told me, that it does not want their stories. Well, that is fantastic. Uh, oh, so my, my TikTok name <laughs> is uh, at selfpubdragon, if you want to check it out. Selfpubdragon. Yes. Well, that's fantastic. Now, I want to finish up with something, because you mentioned it before, and now I have to come back to it, because everyone's been on the hook for this entire episode. What movie did you make? Oh, God. So, you're going to get a laugh out of this now, because you know who I am. It was a semi-autobiographical film about a young woman who decides that she's going to make a movie, but the movie she wants to make is about the zombie cannibal vampire pirate queen who teleports to Earth with her army of space dragons to take over the world, right? So this is something that she cannot possibly achieve without a multi-billion dollar budget, but she tries, she gives it a good try, and it becomes a comedy of errors. Anything that can go wrong does go wrong Mm -hmm. in the making of this indie film, Um, but somewhere along the way, she kind of discovers that she she really loves the process and she's good at it. Sort of. Anyway, um, that was like my first project, real, quote unquote, real project. So I don't think it's anywhere actually online. Um, It was briefly re-released under the title Let's Make a Movie by my distributor. Uh But he no longer has the rights to it. So you might find like a legacy page on Amazon somewhere. Ew, don't go to Amazon. I hate Amazon. Sorry, Amazon's evil. Uh, take that out. Cut that out. No, I'm leaving it up. <laughs> Amazon's evil. I like that. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make YouTube short if you just saying Amazon's evil a dozen times. Oh my god! I showed my friend one of my TikToks, and he was like, "Wow, this is so good and professional." And then, like in the middle of it, I go on this anti-capitalist Amazon rant, <laughs> and I insist on calling it Scamazon every time I mention it. Like we do, and though. Like we do, we go on yeah. rants. You know. And he's like, dude, why did you go there? Like, this was so nice. And now if I was just watching this, I would think you're a lunatic. And I was like, well, that's the shtick, man. I am a lunatic. So bye. (laughs) That's That's my brand. That's the shtick. This is why I think we were perfectly poised to, you know, do word crash together. I mean, you know, (laughs) zombies and May horror, uh, strange writing type people. We don't fit in the mold. Um, Therapy, you know, drugs. I kind of forget how much of a lunatic I am until I like start talking to other people. (laughs) I get it. No, I get it. I'm sitting here going, trying to riff off. And I think we clicked real well for riffing. So yeah, we did. This was fun. Yeah, I don't think you're as much of an outsider as you pretend to be. You just got to find your people. You know? I do. Find you found some in us. I found my people. <laughs> yes. Well, right now I have looked up Let's Make a Movie. And oh, I see it now with the little, the clapper. Now that we know what the clapper is yep, right there. the clapper yep. board. Yep. There it is. So it's out there on Wikipedia. Um, you know, are you going to post it on oh, YouTube yeah, or your a... talk or something? Truth be told, I don't think I have the scratch disc for it anymore. Um, I once, yeah, I once had a hard drive with like all the the dailies and all the audio files, and I don't know what happened to that. Uh, it's possible that I sent it to the distributor when he re-edited it, and he like never sent it back to me. So I'd have to go on an epic quest to the ends of the earth to track this down. I do have a DVD, and I can just pirate my own dvd and put it on youtube 
Yeah, I wouldn't be pirating. <laughs> like, I have the rights. Uh, the rights all reverted back to me, so I can do whatever I want with it. Wait, them. wait, wait. It's sequel time. You need to let's let's find the movie. Let's get the movie. Let's so now, find a movie. Yeah, let's find a movie, and it's all about making a movie about someone who's going to find the movie about their movie that they made about a movie. I actually love it's this. It's a road trip. <laughs> it's a, road it's a trip. recursive yes. movie. It's a recursive movie. It's a movie. road trip, and it turns into a heist mm-hmm. uh, and a showdown at the top of the Empire State Building. <laughs> all within the same and, mind. And, it's a head trip. Yeah. So it's all happening inside Ooh, the mind of the it's director. It's her mind. Yeah. So it's a movie <laughs> about <laughs> someone's delusion about a, a movie about <laughs> finding the movie that she made about making a movie. That she thinks she made. That she thinks she... Ooh. She thinks she exists. It exists somewhere. But does she and really she drags a, a crew, a documentarian crew along with her because she's like, this is going to be a great... I will be your camera woman. I will be your documentary camera woman. I'm right there for you. This is great. I'm there to give you high levels... fives and hugs, man. <laughs> How many levels of meta can we pack into this one? I, I don't All know. of them. All of them. Because now we're... uh... And she can break the fourth wall. I like that. She'll break the fourth wall. Heck yeah. yeah. I mean, a good movie this day has to have that fourth wall breaking. Yes. I love it. I really do like that sequel idea, actually. That's like really... (laughs) You got got something marinating in me now. You can write that in a day, right? You know, script it. You got this. I mean, my my PR for writing a single screenplay from literal scratch, like nothing. We didn't even have an outline is 13.5 hours but it was you know this is the kind of like it it was called giant ass snake versus serial killer so <laughs> nice hey get paid in the th- in the vein of yeah get paid <laughs> in the vein of sharknado and all that <laughs> perfect on a, on a mrfing plane right yes <laughs> just to throw that in there you know what so many of us do so many other things to make money right that comparatively to oh like oh i i just wrote what is it snake giant snake versus serial killer is that what you said yeah giant snake that's totally benign way to make money yeah i mean there's so many like i think lots of people would rather write that than um, work at starbucks you know it's still better and and i didn't or sell plasma you I mean, no, it's from someone who worked in retail once upon a time. It's way better than retail. Heck yeah. And it didn't even feel like selling out because it was a blast. Well, that's good. I just, I wrote, yeah, like it was this giant man-eating snake. And then, like, snake got credit for kills that the serial killer did. So the serial killer was like, nah, I can't have this. So they all (laughs) converge on Snake Mountain. And, uh... You know, and and there are detective teams there, and they're they're searching for the missing bodies of the children who went missing in the woods. The snake got them. Uh, you know, so there's like just fifty people that get murked. There's the got to be a screen like counter. Pages. There's got to be a screen counter at the bottom that's like snake. <laughs> that's, you know, X X. That's versus, for the YouTube yeah. reviews. <laughs> that's the kill counter for when yes. they do YouTube reviews of it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Well, I would like to announce a special feature here on Word Crash. We're going to do it when Let's Make a Movie debuts (laughs) on YouTube. We're going to have a watch along. I'm going to get a bunch of people. We're going to do a live reaction because because you own the rights, we can both watch it and talk at the same time, right? There won't be anyone striking our stuff. We'll do a special Word Crash just for that. All right. 
I will. I will pirate my DVDs. <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> you can turn. <laughs> wait, but we can turn this back into the director's notes or the director's the director's cut. Yeah, there will be the director's cut. So, which page deserves a place in the Wordcraft Hall of Infamy? Was it Scrubageddon or the Amazing Spider Ma? You tell us. Tweet us at Wordcraft Game and vote for your favorite story of the night. If you're listening on YouTube, remember to like and subscribe and get in those comments to tell us how you would tackle our questions today. Everything we talked about will be in the links below. Thank you for listening. I'm Megan, and this has been Word Crash, reminding you to always get creative. Oh, 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 oh